2: Hi, welcome to the Football Writer's Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin, I'm joined by Dave Kidd of The Sun and Sarah Shepherd from The Coach's Voice. So, football's coming home, sort of. Whatever we think about the Nations League, and it's probably an improvement on friendlies against Estonia, it's been a breakthrough year for England. They've reached the World Cup semi-final, they've won in Spain, and they're in the final four of the Nations League suppose
1: the question is, Dave, how far can this group go? Well, they could certainly win the Nations League because they're playing Switzerland, Portugal, and quite possibly Holland in, 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 the, in the final four. So... They, they may even go in as favourites possibly I'm not sure mm. um, Port- the Portuguese will hope whatever that be. might mean <laughs> yeah, exactly. well we all love it now don't we we weren't sure about it at the start but it has been really uh, quite engaging I think particularly the, the group England have been in because it was so tight and it was this ridiculous situation where England were going to be relegated with a few minutes to go and then Kane scores and we, we, we suddenly we've won the won the group um, but I think there's some great highlights there I mean, the, the win in Seville was, was outstanding and I think Coming off the back of the World Cup, there's an awful lot of I think. Sort of the more cynical people might have thought this is just a flash in the pan. That's what certainly all the Welsh, Scottish, and Irish people I know were hoping. <laughs> um, but there was, it was always seemed to have been built on on a much stronger foundation because of the we we know of uh, the kids coming. From, this is a young group anyway. Um, there's only um, there's no players current England internationals who are over who are over 30 now because the, the two or three who played this year um, have since retired. Well, I think Ashley Young hasn't officially retired, so. But mm. basically, this team—they're all under 30—and we know that the under 17s from last year and and the, and the group below them are extremely good. Um, we've already seen Sancho coming through, so we always knew that, and that we had these kids, and that Southgate knew them all forensically because he's been in the system and he know and, he, and he's overseen these age groups for a good few years in his under 21 role, which also overarched. So it always looked like it was built on solid foundations, and it was going to get better. After, because you could look at the World Cup, can you in, in two different ways? You could say England flukes; yet yeah, they had a lucky draw, um, they, they got lucky against Colombia, perhaps, and but and, and they I think they won three and lost three. Actually, um, mm. the two Belgian games probably didn't matter that much. But you can look at it one or two ways. But what's happened since has as, as sort of accentuated the positives, and, and, and we're really looking forward now with, with great confidence.
2: Mm. You know, to, to um, Dave's point, Sarah. Um, 12 of the 14 players used against Croatia aged between 18 and 25. So you've got youth, you've got resilience coming back in the last 15 minutes and you've just got a basic likeability about this team. Is this the year we fell back in love with international football?
0: I I think if you're looking at Wembley yesterday, you'd have to give that a resounding yes. You know, I've never heard anything quite like that, I don't think, at Wembley for England in in recent years. Um, And it seems crazy to think about where we were just two years ago at the Euros after that Iceland game how low how low morale was how low belief in this England team was to where we where we are now and what happened yesterday is it's like night and day um and it's no wonder that Gareth picked picked that up as his you know brightest spot from after the game yesterday you know he mentioned that was the biggest thing for him the fact that the fans were now in love with this this team and we can you know, call that sentimental, you can belittle it if you like, but I think it really does make a difference to those players and, and how they feel when they're on the pitch.
2: Because mm, there's, there's a real sense that we're entering the sort of second phase of, of Southgate's management. He took some hard decisions pre-World Cup, you know, getting rid of Rooney and people yeah. like that. Um, and as you say, it's now, let's have a look at what he's got to work with. And if you look at it objectively... In the way you know, the Croatia manager was saying, you know, football's coming home very soon. Mm. Uh, they should be live contenders for Euro twenty, and yep. then by definition,
1: yep. the World Cup in twenty two. Well, it's more or less a home tournament, Euro twenty twenty, which will really help England. Will play the vast majority. Of their, if, if England were to go all the way, they will play the vast majority of their games, including the semi final and the final at Wembley, if they were to get that far. And 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 they certainly will be major contenders. They have to be. Um, I think that. You you you've got players like Sancho coming in. I think the, the strength off the bench yesterday made a big difference. That's so often the case in a tight game at the top level. If you can bring Ali Lingard, whose who's England performances far outweighs Man United ones at the moment. He's been excellent for England. Delhi Ali Sancho and Lingard to come off the bench in a tight game it make, makes all the difference. Um, I think um, having been, I, I remember the night in Moscow, the Columbia game. That was that seemed to be a sea change for me. Is is the way that they. Um, dealt with what was an incredibly hostile atmosphere that night it was full of Colombians it was brilliant atmosphere ear-splitting but very hostile towards England to have, to have sort of had the heartbreak of conceding in the 90th minute that night in a real street fight of a match and then and to come back and win it and win it on penalties and, and, and get that one off your back um, I, I think that, that I think what happened in Moscow that night sort of we, we saw it again yesterday one down but they still believe because they've been through that in a big big game and yesterday, I think we saw the benefits of that night maybe coming through again. Mm.
2: Let's try and sort of break it down if we can, Sarah, um, maybe into sort of three distinctive age groups. Um, that younger group, who are just beginning to emerge, sort of 18 to 20 years old, I suppose the, the forerunner of that group was Trent Alexander-Arnold. Mm. Um, how close is he, do you think, to becoming first choice right back for England?
0: I've seen some people kind of intimating that it'll be within the next year or so. Um, I think that's a, a little bit harsh on on Carl Walker, um, but I think you could probably, probably potentially put him, a, you know, above Kieran Trippier in terms of what he gives that England side in the back four. Um, you know, he's he's more athletic. He's got the pace that Trippier maybe hasn't got. Um, so I, I I think possibly twenty twenty. It might be a little bit too early, but 2022 you could definitely see him. You know, he's starting games for Liverpool. He's, you know, he's 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 there already in that sense. So it can't be that far away. But I think Carl Walker for me just will have mm. another couple of years as as first choice.
2: I suppose the thing with Trent is that there is a almost like the connection of youth. You know, here's someone mm. who's in tune with the community at Liverpool. You know, does, still you know still lives with his mum, works works within the community, and that gets us away from the whole sort of Compartmentalisation of the golden generation that we, that we grew up with—you know—that that basically looked after themselves and they they weren't broader figures.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a big thing about this England squad. I think they're all just much more relatable. Um, don't seem to be any, you know, massive egos or you know, sort of you no know, golden balls, mm. <laughs> if you like. Um, and that's 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 been the, the great thing, and I think that's why people have taken to them, them all so readily, you know. And I think the era that we're in now with social media helps with that because we see them more relaxed. You know, the FA have done that very well, the way they've presented the players through social media. Um, so that's been a big part of it, but they've all all—they've all come across really well.
2: Mm. Yeah, they're good to deal with, aren't they? Dave?
1: They are, yeah, and they certainly weren't for many years. Um, I, I, I i think it's probably unlikely that this lot happened to be all unbelievably great guys and the golden generation were all dreadful rotters. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's probably true. It's a lot to do with certainly that social media connection totally agree with you Sarah Uh, and 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 young people in general embrace that they're a bit more open generally than probably people of my generation um so there's there's that um but I I just but I just think they are slightly more and they've grown up in a slightly less paranoid era in terms of the FA in particular Mm. I think they 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 have they, grown up for a long while in clubs who who are quite paranoid about anything getting out there. Once they've got that their own, they sort of can relate to people through social media without being restricted so much by by their own clubs. I think that really helps. And um, I mean, people like Pickford, Maguire, Trippier in particular. I remember during the world, during all of them really, but those three stood out to me. They were just—they were just really good working-class lads who you couldn't dislike. There was no side to them. There was nothing flashy about them, but they were really engaging and really likable. Um, and that—that that makes a big difference. It really does. And I think, also, I think they're. They are looking forward to playing for England. They're looking forward to international breaks. There's nothing, there's no, in no way is it a bind to be, to, to be joining up. They like each other's company. Mm. And there's certainly been you know, clicks and splits. that You can imagine players in the golden generation era not looking forward to an international break. Mm. With Sancho, he you know, was only his third cap
2: uh, on Sunday, yet made a distinct difference to that team you know, with the width that he got, the unpredictability of, of everything. Now, he's had to go away... And make his impact as as you know the Women's League as player of the month. Mm. You've got Rhys Nelson doing something similar to the three other lads. Do you think he will be seen maybe in five years' time as a forerunner of how actually you've got to develop your career as a young English player?
0: I hope so. Um I've been, you know, so impressed by what he's done. Um obviously Rhys Nelson's gone on loan to Hoffenheim. Jane mm. Santo took the decision mm. to actually move there permanently. Um and that has massively paid off. It, it's a risk. But then I, I think you can see it as a risk to stay here as well. You know, they're both calculated risks. And, and if it works, as it has done for, for Sancho and also for Reese Nelson, then, um, you know, it shows what, what a difference it can make. And also, he's, I think the fact that he's made this breakthrough with England now shows that players don't have to worry that if they leave the country, they'll be forgotten about. You know, Gareth Southgate will, will still recognise that and, and, and give them an opportunity in the England squad.
2: Mm. You know, two of the most prominent young players you know, within the system still, Phil Foden
0: mm.
2: at Man City and, and Ryan Sessignon at mm. Fulham. Um, what do you make of the way they're handling their careers? You know, Foden's got the obvious difficulty of actually getting into that City team. And would Ryan Sessegnon's development have been accelerated by going somewhere else, do you think?
1: No, I think Sessegnon's playing week in, week out. He's, he's had a situation at Fulham where the first-choice left-back's been injured and uh, he's having to play. He's, he's been switching between <laughs> Fulham, we'll go to Fulham later, I think. But um, mm. you know, he, he's not had a nailed-down position this year, which hasn't helped. So he's not had the greatest start to his Premier League career. But he's still playing week in, week out. And I think as things settle down there, we'll see him improving. Um, so definitely the right decision to stay for now, at least have a one season at Fulham where we can play week in, week out in the Premier League and then maybe move on after that. Um, Foden, of course this kid, Foden is still only 18, he's still very young. We haven't got to be too impatient, we're almost getting used to, to players coming through at a very young age but um, but Foden and and he's like, if they're not getting football, they are going to, there's going to be a now a natural progression to, to look to move abroad if they, if, even if he's on loan, uh, it's a season-long loan it would be great you know a season long loan for Foden to say a Bundesliga club would would be a very good next step I think Mm. Um, if City aren't going to be playing in week in week out and there is it is going to be always going to be very very difficult for any kid of any nationality to break into that Manchester City team it's that good isn't it it's possibly the best team in the world right now so um, uh, you know Sancho definitely, I think for me, will be, will be a trailblazer for other English kids to go abroad. We've already seen it with Nelson. Luckman last year was very good over there as well and are desperate to go back to Germany. So mm. I think Germany in particular, they've shown in the Bundesliga that they're willing to give kids a chance.
2: Mm. Yeah, in a way, Luckman's plight is is quite typical, isn't it? A bit like um, Hudson-Odoi at Chelsea, where they're kept as almost first-team cannon fodder, aren't they? They'll get maybe two or three games if they're lucky. Yeah. Mm. Um, that's no way to develop your career, I feel for, for Lookman especially.
0: Yeah, he's and he's done so well when he has come on for Everton, you know, he's he's really made a difference when he when he's mm. been used as substitute. And I know a lot of Everton fans would like to see him start um possibly this weekend. I think they've got Cardiff, haven't they? Mm. Um and I think the Everton fans haven't been overly impressed with Theo Walcott so far. So I think a lot of them would like to see Lookman get that opportunity. And if he doesn't start to get those those starting opportunities, then I think he will get frustrated because, like you said, he's he's had that experience um, and he's obviously ready for first-team football. So it, it must be frustrating to go away and do that and then come back and be back in that that position.
2: Mm. Best of the rest of that sort of age group, that 18, 20 age group, you know, we're looking at um, maybe Aaron Wambasika at Palace, uh, who's, Done exceptionally well in in a short space of time. Um, you know, someone like uh, Rian Brewster, whose progress has been stunted by injury, are those the sort of names that we should be keeping an eye out?
1: Yeah, definitely. You mentioned Hudson Ada, who's lightning and, and a really, you know, really impressive player, wide player. Um, I, I would hope because Chelsea's got the same problem with Man, as Man City. Those are the two clubs that are, that are a real problem. I think for English mm. kids to be in those two. Hudson-Odoi, is, uh, he was outstanding in that World Cup, um, under-17 World Cup victory, as was Brewster, as you say. Um, and Wan- Wan-Bissaka, I mean, he's got a, bit of a problem. I mean, there were three starting Champions League right-backs in Walker, Trippier and Alexander-Arnold. I mean, that's extraordinary. And we're talking about Mm. only 27% of English players and all that but in right back is such a strong position Juan bissaka looks good enough to be playing for England now and he's he's fourth in the pecking order and so he may have to be patient but you know again he's he's benefiting from playing regular Premier League football mm. um, there's, there's plenty of them in the system you know most of those under 17s that won the World Cup could you know end up being full internationals they're that good yeah
2: yeah Gibbs White at Wolves, he yeah. really good. he yeah. does look a player and you know Mason Mount at Chelsea over the last two, three years, that's been a name that's just been recurring when you've talked to scouts and they, you know, look, look out for this kid.
0: Mm. And that's obviously why Lampard, you know, made it a priority to get him in at Derby because he knew what he was capable of. And he knew, you know, if he give, gave him those opportunities um, to play week in, week out in the Championship, what he could bring to that team. Um, again, it's difficult at Chelsea, you know, looking back, it hasn't been, there hasn't been many opportunities for young English players. So where Mason Mount goes when he returns to Chelsea will will be interesting. You have to hope that there will be opportunities there. Perhaps at the end of the season, there might be, you know, we'll see what happens with Fabregas. Um, A few players like that could be on... On their way out, and, and we'll see what happens.
1: Mm. The fact that Barkley actually—I know he's a bit older, he's twenty-three, twenty-four—but the fact that I, I was concerned that Barkley, I thought as looked like he was Barkley was going to go to Spurs. I thought that's going to be a better move for him. Play mm. Chelsea, thought he could go, he could go missing. But the fact that Barkley's played week in, week out, even a little bit, little bit older, so it of gives you a little bit, a little bit more hope. Maybe for some of the younger players, the mounts and Hudson the Doys, that they may get, they may get some game time to break through.
2: Let's look at the sort of second group, which is sort of. Twenty-one, twenty-two—that sort of age group. Um, I suppose the poster boy for that group probably is is Rashford. Um, is his development slowing because of what's going on at Man United? What do you what do you make of it? A little
1: bit, yeah. He's played a fair bit of football, hasn't he? Um, and I think he I think he prefers to play as a nine, but he, he always looks better as a, as a, a wide, you know, player cutting inside for me. Um, Rashford, I, I don't I don't think he's the amount of games he's playing is, is decent, either starting or off the bench. He's getting a decent amount of football. It's just an air of gloom at that, at that football club. Um, even when they've been getting results, it, there's, there's been very little freedom about the way they, they play. And, and he looks like, and particularly that night in Seville, he looks like he's really enjoying being with England and, he's, and that's a bit, of, a bit of an outlet for him at the moment. Um, Rashford's doing all right. Um, I don't think he would... I think you would probably benefit if management did change at United as it probably will do at some point in the next year anyway. Mm. The person who's
2: probably most impressed me in that group was Joe Gomez, um, at Liverpool, you know. Overcame untimely injuries. Um the uh, uh the goal at Wembley yesterday was a result of his long throw, so mm. kudos to, to Liverpool's Danish long throw mm-hmm. coach. Um when you're looking at someone like gomez um, is he does he sort of sum up the fact that a young player needs a manager who believes
0: yeah I think so i th- I don't think you can underestimate the importance of that that belief for young players and and their ability to go out on the pitch and not fear you know making mistakes not think not yeah you know, they're almost you know um going back to 2016 again we saw the players look fearful of making mistakes um with young players in particular you want them to be fearless you know we saw with Rashford making some of those runs in the second half yesterday he just went for it and that's brilliant to see um and the same with Gomez you know he's looked confident um and again if if they do you know if there are is an error they, their head doesn't go down that, that that's where the um you know the ability to come back and the resilience mm. comes into play you know if if they don't fear making mistakes then they can play with much more freedom
2: Mm. not often we look to Leicester to to lead with the greatest respect to Leicester Um, but if you look at the young core players there that's just been started to be developed you've got uh, Madison you've got Chilwell and Maguire you spoke about Um,
1: how important is it to have those club cells as it were yeah, it can be. Yeah, yeah. And Gray, I think, is, is certainly got the talent to, to play for England um, regularly as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Leicester, have, the way they develop their squad since the title win, they've, they've been quite big on bringing in English talent. Um, Madison looks a real player, doesn't he? And, and, and you're not entirely sure where, where he's going to fit in. So they've got so many options in those sort of, you know. Sort of seven, ten, eleven positions. Um, Madison would normally play as a ten. I'm not sure he'd be quite away down the pecking order, really. But um, yeah, uh, Leicester um, is a, is a club that Southgate I think is enjoying going to. Um, Maguire, obviously, I, I agree about Gomez being outstanding, and Maguire looked like he was nailed on, particularly because obviously Southgate was playing mm. three centre halves at the World Cup, and that looked, we thought we assumed he would stick with that, having had success again. It's almost like been a third part. You he said, he said this is part two of Southgate. It's almost part three because he went, he went from the fairly dull qualification to the back three, which took it through the World Cup. Then he, and he's, he's reshaped it again. I think Gomez and Stones now looks like the, 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 the sort of two for England and Maguire's actually out in the cold, strangely, you know, mm-hmm. having been the great sort of cult hero of the World Cup.
2: How you know, Your work on, on, the, on the website, Sarah, you have coaches you know, talking about their craft, um in so in doing those interviews, have you picked up any strain of influence for instance, that you know someone like Gareth Southgate is now having you know maybe it 's just confidence in the younger co- or the younger uh, breed of british coach
0: as in the influence that Southgate's having yeah. on, on young coaches
2: yeah
0: that's a good question um it might be too early for that um I think uh, you know the the younger coaches um that are coming through there, there are, they are now getting some opportunities. Some of them have have gone abroad to get those opportunities. So I don't, I think they're seeing that there are, you know, if you keep working, you might get those, those openings. Um, I remember when Southgate got the job and actually when we spoke to him for the site, um, in January, so the beginning of this year, the reaction that we got to some of the first pieces that we put out was not, you know, was not complimentary. People weren't convinced at all by him. Um, people were saying you know how he's so dull how can he inspire these players I and mean, it's it's amazing how how it's flipped um so I, I i think his influence there will be an influence um over the next 12 months or so i think a lot of the young coaches the young aspiring coaches are looking to him and saying well you know look at what this guy's doing um you don't have to be over 50 to to have a a, mm. a big job um but yeah i think it it'll take a bit of time
2: mm. Let's look at the that older age group, you know, by old, they're yeah. 23 to 25, that sort of age. Um, I suppose Harry Kane stands out from it, you know, eight goals in out of the 28
1: that yeah. England have scored this year. Um, when's his battery going to run out? <laughs> I don't know, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you really thought it might. After the World Cup, he's been playing, it seems like, constant football for years and years. He's got such an appetite for it, though, he's just... He's a, he's a big kid. I don't think he's ever going to grow up in terms of his, his desire to play football constantly. Um, Stones would be a similar age group as well. Stones is utterly key to England now, isn't he? I think. Mm. Um, you know, he, he looks like he, he's nailed on to play in central defence for as long as he wants to. Um, Kane, um, he sort of seemed to have a. He scored in August because he was playing Fulham. That was lucky for him. <laughs> uh, he, he, uh, but, he, but he did have a little bit of a, 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 a dip. Um, but. It's good to see him score score that big goal for England he hadn't scored for England since since the Columbia match and actually sort of tailed off towards the end of the World Cup. So it's been a little bit... People in, this, in the Spurs dressing room have noticed he's been not quite 100%, but he, even a Kane who's a little bit worn out is still a very, very good mm. world-class goal scorer.
0: Uh, yeah. I think the, the thing with Kane is when you, you look at him after matches, he doesn't seem... He's, he's quite cool emotionally. Uh, I think that if you're not, you know, if you're not getting too het up emotionally, obviously he's passionate, you're not getting that that emotional fatigue that comes along with the physical fatigue um, mm. that, you know, you would suffer after the Royal Cup. So I think that helps him in a way. He's mm. able to kind of keep his cool um, mm. and that What's allows a, him to don't recover. Don't make the
2: highs too high and don't make the exactly. lows too low. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, alongside, you know, Tottenham teammate, Daly Alley, um, you know, he's one of these deceptive characters in a way. You know, people... Almost perceive there's a bit of arrogance there, but actually when you talk to the guy, he's a very, very good grounded lad um, bit of an in and out season so far because of various reasons. What do you expect him to be for say the second half of the season?
0: yeah, like you said the, the, there's been a bit of consistency missing from his from his game this season, and it might concern him that he didn't start the game yesterday um, because he has been you know quite a sort of star, starter in, in Southgates southgates team, um, so I think there's you know there 's a big opportunity for him in the second half of the season. Spurs are still fighting on lots of fronts, um, so there 's a real opportunity for him to 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 say i'm i 'm one of the main men in this Spurs team alongside Harry, obviously mm. um, but yeah we 'll need to see a bit more consistency in terms of level of performance i think from from delhi
2: mm. you know we 're painting a lovely rosy picture here, Dave, so let 's just be a bit mm. downbeat for a change you know go back to revert to type, some people might say.
1: Um, what are the weaknesses of this squad What about central midfield yeah. Yeah, is the glaring weakness and probably goalkeeper if Pickford was injured there's no, there's no one else to come in really I mean there's the Burnley guys but that's a bit strange in terms of heart going there they're not playing at the moment goalkeeping's not a lot of depth in the goalkeeping position if Pickford were injured um, but certainly central midfield is the problem um, we, we haven't got that Modric or Rakitic have we um, mm. and it was probably a handy that Rakitic wasn't there so um Possibly Winks. I'm not seeing enough from Winks. He looks decent, but again, not absolutely world-class. Maybe if Winks played week in, week out, we may see him develop into that sort of player. Um, I think Foden would normally play a little bit more advanced. He might be more of a 10. He might play as an 8, though, Foden, maybe. Um, I've just never been convinced by either Dyer or Henderson at the top level. Delph is a a player that Southgate absolutely loves as a personality. He's an infectious type, but he would admit himself he's not a world class footballer. Um, He's a very good one to have around the squad. Um, So that is that. That central midfield um, is the glaring problem in terms of a team that is as we are now a top five, top six team to a team that are going to win a major tournament. That is the one thing. That's the one area you could see where we may miss out. Mm. And if we're looking at the veterans
2: um callan wilson the you know, ancient at 26 <laughs> um does he deserve uh, a good look
0: yeah i think so um i thought he did well against the usa when he played um and you look at what he's come through in terms of the injuries to get back to this this point and that says a lot for a person's character mentality dedication to what you know to his sport um so i, I mean, obviously it's difficult we're quite you know blessed in terms of um striking options and and forward line but um but yeah i think i think definitely and and you look at what he's doing for Bournemouth this season um you know he's playing really well um and so i think gareth wants to give him that opportunity and and hopefully he'll get a few more mm.
2: let's sort of change tack a bit and look at the return of the premier league uh, dave um you know your affiliation with Fulham is pretty well known um the key game in the weekend, Fulham-Southampton. You've got a new coach in Claudio Ranieri. What's your take on him?
1: On Ranieri, um, I think, um, I don't think it's going to be so much fun at Fulham to watch them now. Um, I think that he's a very strange person in many ways, Ranieri, because the, the public image is dilly-ding, dilly-dong, slightly cartoonish, sort of, incredibly warm and very friendly Burgers guy. for all and all that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, pizzas and stuff. But, behind the scenes he 's an Italian football coach of sixty he's sixty seven years old I think you know and he 's done it for thirty odd years you know he he comes from you know he started off in the 1980s in italy he 's a hard man um he he likes a team to defend well you know it, it wasn 't you know, the fact that Leicester won the Premier League was a miracle they won it with forty percent possession over the course of a season on average. They won. They won game after game with thirty-five percent, thirty percent of the possession. It, it was an extraordinary achievement, built on a very solid defence. And it, but he won it with Wes Morgan and Robert Hooth in central defence in their thirties. That you know they're not well-beaten players. It, he's, so he and his coaching staff have got very good ideas of how to organise a defence and play well without the ball. And that's that's the difference going to be going forward for Fulham. Mm, were you surprised that? Um... Uh, Slav Jovangovic was let go? Uh, Not surprised, but saddened because um, he had an outstanding last couple of seasons there. I don't think Fulham fans have enjoyed their football as much as that for for many, many years. Um, And there were certain reasons why it's been so shambolic this season that weren't entirely his fault. There were a lot of injuries in defence. The one thing that you need to correct that everyone says is Fulham made too many signings in the summer. They had six players on loan last year they lost another one on, on, on a free transfer at the end of the season so they needed to buy in seven players just to get back to where they were and then you've got to have some sort of improvement mm-hmm. so that they had to spend pretty big the 100 million pound thing that gets bandied around yet they've, they've overspent on a couple of players that wasn't jacanovich's fault those couple of players weren't his players that he didn't want particularly anyway uh, a guy called on from from france it was, it was the record signing nearly 30 million pounds wasn't the player that he he showed he made it pretty obvious that he didn't want him. So there were a lot of reasons why it should feel hard done by. But at the end of the day, five points, hundred million—it's almost going to happen, isn't it?
2: Mm-hmm. And you know, we were talking earlier on, Sarah. It's a surprise that only one manager's gone. You know, by this stage of the season, uh, is it likely to be two if Southampton lose at the cottage?
0: Um, yeah, there's obviously there's quite a lot of potential for that given what's been going on at Southampton with Les Reed leaving, who was the man that brought Mark Hughes in, you know, you would have to think that he's got an inkling in the back of his head that, um, his days are possibly shortening by the week. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, it's a, it's a massive game for Southampton with a new manager in at Fulham. He'll be wary of that new manager bounce, um, it's a shame kind of didn't get the opportunity to to take Fulham into this game. Um so yeah, potentially we could see two gone. Um but again that's that's quite few for the for the Premier League before with Christmas, you know, mm. a month away.
2: Well, what coaches you deal with, do they how do they deal with the reality is that, you know, eighteen months they're gonna get the sack?
0: Most of them are quite phlegmatic about it. Um I think one of the quotes um that um, sticks with me is um, from Paul, uh, Paul Simpson, who's actually coached the England under twenties mm, that yeah. that won the World Cup. But he's he's had quite a you know a long career in club management, and he said um, it was Jim Smith told him you know you're not a proper manager until you've been sacked. And I think we've all probably heard that mm. <laughs> that quote from managers. You know they they know that what the reality is. It doesn't mean it's it you know affects them any less. I think it means they can get over it quicker. And most of them say the worst part is the few days afterwards when your phone suddenly goes quiet mm. and, and you know, you suddenly feel like, well, there's nothing going on and that you you plunged into this black hole. Um, I'm sure you've heard similar stories. Um, yeah, and that, that, the phone
2: goes mad for two days, three days, yeah, and it just and sort of tails off.
0: Everything stops. Yeah. And that's the moment when they think, oh, you know, am I going to get back in? And that's the the panic and the fear. And then that can lead to taking the wrong jobs and all sorts. So, yeah, it's it's a difficult, difficult period.
2: Because it is interesting with Mark Hughes. He's got this sort of perception that he's one of these magic roundabout managers. He trips here and there. You know, he was at Fulham, of course.
1: Yeah, one year there. um, Only only one year. And then suddenly went to go somewhere, showed more ambition and went to QPR and made a complete car crash of that so um it, there'll be there won't be anybody there won't be any any Fulham supporters It'd be sad to see Fulham beat them and and, and put his job in peril unfortunately it's, it's a harsh old game um he, he, one season at Fulham, he did quite well actually um uh, straight on from the Hodgson and and he quite a lot of continuity um but uh, yeah he he is one of those guys who who've you know they were, they all suddenly got jobs middle of last season and the, the, there was a stat going round that I remember trying to add up. I think between five or six of them they'd had about 30 jobs and none of them had ever won a trophy you know mm. uh, six, a major trophy in English football so um, and all double the age at least double the age of the average England player I would think absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it was a real generational thing and it's become more of an old man's game in, in, in management in the Premier League it's become more of an old old man's game in recent years mm. one of the great sort of refreshing figures this season I think has been Sarri at, at Chelsea
2: you know? It's almost a, a third-place playoff on on Saturday, isn't it? You know, the BT Sport game uh, Tottenham. Do you think we've underestimated Chelsea's achievement this season? You know, 12 matches unbeaten.
0: Yeah, it has gone under the radar, hasn't it? Um, because of how good City have been, how excited people are about Liverpool. Um, but, you know, he's come into that team. He's new to the Premier League. He's changed the, the system. He's changed the style. Um, you know, I don't think people were quite expecting them to do this well so quickly you know it normally takes a little bit of time Mm. to adapt to to the Premier League Um, so yeah it's been it it has gone under the radar Um, and I think if they if they get a win over Spurs at the weekend and and that unbeaten run continues then maybe people will start talking about them a bit more
2: Mm, mm. Spurs used 24 players this season which probably tells you all you need to know about um, Pochettino as a manager makes do a mend
1: yeah also the fact that I think that he's having to Manage fatigue with about fourteen of those players, probably having been involved in the tail end of the World Cup, semi-finals, finals, place Playoffs, etc. It was a real problem that for Spurs more than any other club, wasn't it? But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, he's, listening, he's done a fantastic job. Um, they've struggled in the Champions League this year, but their league form's still very, very good. Um, it's going to be, you know, obviously you assume United are, are out of the picture, but I think Arsenal have been good. So you know, there, there is it, it's going to be those three London clubs. I think um, challenging for Third, between third, fourth, and fifth place, probably. Um, but you know, one, one of them is going to miss out on a champ, on Champions mm. League football. Next. Who do you think will miss out? Probably Arsenal, but I think they. I've been really impressed with what Emery's done there. Um, I think he's really improved things um, without spending very much money. Um, like like as, as we've said, Chelsea, Sarri. I, I thought he had a hell of a job on his hands, Sarri, and 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 I think he's done really well. I, I, I particularly, I've mentioned it before. I love the way he's, he's embraced Barkley and Barclays really really come on loops and bounds under him. I think they're enjoying their football, aren't they? They weren't enjoying it under Conte the last season in particular. Hazard's been reborn. So yeah, I think Arsenal will probably miss out, but not by much. Mm. What
2: do you think, um, if we look at United, Sarah, um, a lot of talk about uh, Jose Mourinho trying to influence the appointment of a technical director. Now, surely that defeats the object, doesn't it? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Well yes, if he ends up bringing in someone who's basically his own man, then um it's not going to have quite the impact and effect on the team that it possibly should have to have a technical director in there someone who you know brings in their own ideas who Jose has to be answerable to um who has his own input into um recruitment etc. Um so yes, I mean it'll be interesting to see who does end up coming in and and how you know how well they know Jose, what how the networking kind of figures mm. out between them, um, but yeah, like you said, it it would be a shame almost if if he just ends up bringing in someone who's his own man.
2: Yeah, what about the principle of that job? Do you think it's a good one?
0: I do. Yeah, um, you speak to any manager who's worked in Europe, and and they all that's how it works, you know, and they all think it works, and um, they like the fact the managers like the fact all the that they can be a head coach, focus on what's going on on the pitch, um, and also. If you've got if you've got two of you almost to kind of share the load and also when things aren't going so well it's not just the manager it's not just you in the spotlight um it almost you know it helps take the pressure off a little bit i think to have that um so yeah i think managers who come from europe are quite surprised when mm-hmm. when they're thrust into an English club and everything is you know on their table their to-do list is pile high
2: mm-hmm. you know Jose for Christmas, his Christmas present, he wants a cent a half, that's pretty obvious. Um he was spotted watching Belgium. Um Yeah, I and
1: mean, we certainly wanted him in in the summer. They wouldn't push the boat out, um, for big money, you deal with Spurs, you you have to pay over the odds and um yeah, Aldeviro looked like it was gonna happen and it didn't because you know, United were unsure about Mourinho, they still are unsure about Mourinho, they're not sure whether to back his hunches. I I think Alderweireld is such a Established Premier League player that that you know it, it wouldn't be any great punt to, to go for Aldevaro even if you're going to sack your manager a few months down the line. Um, but yeah, they, they've they've got to bring another central defender in. But I do do get the impression Jose has been sort of sulking about it too much. Talking the players, the decent players he's already got. Bayes the one who always looked to me as though he was he was the best of the bunch. Mm. They've got there. He's been frozen out. Um, there's obviously been a schism there between him and Mourinho. You get, but you do get the impression that sometimes he can cut off his own nose despite his face. Um, he's not happy, and he wants the world to know he's not happy. And he's quite happy to belittle his own players to get that point across.
2: Mm. It's an interesting one on on, on Saturday, Sarah. Um, Crystal Palace are at Old Trafford if he's fit. Will Sahar will be going back to the club, but he was there for about 10 seconds flat. Mm. Is he a bit of a a warning sign to some young players about making that big move? You know, I remember him saying that, you know, when I went up there, um, I ended up on my own, living in digs in Stockport, really had no support network around me. Um, Yet now he's back in familiar circumstances at Palace. Shoulders are back. And he's the man, isn't he?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I I hope they don't see it as a reason to be put off ha being ambitious and wanting to make that big move. Because I think if you look at the player that Zaha is now, how much of that is due to the experiences that he had at, at Manchester United, you know, they they would have made him more stronger mentally, more resilient. Um so I kind of I don't want players to be put off having that ambition, but but then yes, you know, some decisions you make won't won't be the right ones. Some clubs won't be the right fit. Um, and I think that's, that was an example of that. Um, but I think, you know, some people use it as a stick to beat him with and say, well, he couldn't do it at a big club. I think you put him in a big bigger club than than Palace now and I think he'd be absolutely fine. Mm,
2: mm. Because with confidence in the end. Isn't it?
0: Exactly, yeah. And if you, you have the right manager that, you know, has a belief in him um, and he feels that, you know, he has the freedom to do what He does at Palace for the team, then yeah, I think any team would, would love to have him.
2: Mm. You got uh, Manchester City
1: at uh, West Ham, the Pellegrini Derby. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, I mean, City have tended to go, go there and win handsomely, haven't they? Um, and I would imagine the same again, um, if they were on a level, different level to anyone else. I'm, I've never been convinced by Pellegrini. A lot of people at Man City were too, they were never convinced by Pellegrini that he, he won a title there. They, it's almost as if he won it by default. It's a bit harsh on him, but. I think he was very much a, a, a sort of passive kind of uh, individual who, who actually at an elite club you, you almost can be like that. You can just get by. Man City has got such a great a group of talented players that to some extent you can get away with being relatively passive in, in, the, in the modern era. Ancelotti, I think, is in the same bracket and has had great success. He's I maybe got slightly more about him than Pellegrini, but. I wasn't convinced that he was the right man for West Ham. I think there was quite a lot of excitement amongst West Ham fans because he, he, he's got a good CV. He's won, he's won the title and you know, he's at West Ham. That's great, but I, I'm not sure if he's somebody who can who can grab hold of a club of West Ham's, you know, sort of mid mid to lower Premier League club and, and make them into the sort of top six contenders that, that West Ham yeah. believe they should be. I like have, have a bit more about you. have a bit more about you
2: than you than making a sixth month lunge for. Sammy Nasri, for instance.
1: Yeah, I know, Nasri's just, just a, I mean, that's, that's, that's the bad old West Ham, isn't it? That's a sort of, that's a, that's a bad old West Ham signing for me. That's a sort, a, a sort of, goes, goes, goes not, not so much Pellegrini as, as much as Golden Sullivan's sort of thing they've done too much of during their tenure, I think. No, I, I think Nasri's not a great character, so in having the dressing room either.
2: Yeah, well, if that's a sort of DVD-type signing, you know, I suppose the, the best example of, of, of measured yeah, you know, but well-resourced recruitment has been Liverpool. You know, there's some talk that you know they might even ship out Fabinho, bring in Pulisic from from Dortmund. Um, you know, they're at Watford. Is this a a sort of a litmus test type of game because they were awful there last season, weren't they? Mm.
0: Yeah, potentially, and they've got um quite a difficult run coming up. I think over Christmas. So this is we're entering into a really interesting period for Liverpool that will test. Um, Their, you know, fine start to the season uh, in terms of results. Anyway, I know performances haven't been quite perhaps what we were expecting um, compared to last year. Um, so yeah, it will, it will be interesting. And um, Watford, you never really know what you're going to get. Um, you know, uh, they've had some great results this season. They've had some that recently. I think they lose to Newcastle. Um, mm-hmm. Some, you know, some surprising results, if you like. Um, but they've got players that that can. You know, do some damage, um, but yeah, I think Klopp will see this as a as a good opportunity to go into this this Christmas period with on a bit of a high.
2: Mm. Shakiri's done well, hasn't he? And um, it's almost as if that club now meet, matches his ego.
1: Absolutely, yeah. He always felt a Stoke; he was uh, he felt he was a bit too big for all that. Um, yeah, I like Shakiri. Uh, he's a good signing for them with very little money. And uh, I, but having said that, they they, they just haven't it's very strange isn't it you know the whole thing about you know, champions often win titles by you know by, by not playing well and winning but I, I think there's been a little bit too much not playing well for Liverpool uh, it's been a bit of a trend it's not just been a few odd games they've just not been what they were last season um, it's which way are they going to go now are they going to Get back to last season, or are they going to start? The results now going to start reflecting how relatively poorly they've been playing this season. Um, it'll be interesting. And Watford is, like you say, it is a litmus test game. It's a, it's a tough away game. They can be, you know, that place can gets rocking, mm. and they've got they've got a good squad now. They've got a pretty settled team, at Watford, and and uh, and they can do some damage if they get you early and get ahead. Then that's a very tough place to be.
2: Just mm. a, a few questions from the the listeners and the viewers. Um, start. Sarah with you if I could please um, Chris Etchingham uh, what will be the impact of Brexit on English clubs keeping and attracting European players I suppose what he's getting at is you know, you've already got that clash between the Premier League who are saying there you know, should be no you know, no eligibility problems let them all in and you've got the FA saying well let's have quotas where are we going to go with that?
0: Yeah that's a nice easy question isn't it yeah. <laughs> uh, I think with, as with everything with Brexit no one really knows what the impact is gonna be. Uh the FA have talked about um changing the number of English players that you've got to have in your squad, um, you know, in exchange for letting players come in from Europe. Um but is that, is that a good thing? Um I think it I think it probably is a good thing. I'm, I'm, I don't feel quite so comfortable with them sort of using Brexit as a means to do it. Um but perhaps that's the only way it was will ever happen. Um the 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 thing for me is, you know, we were talking about Jaden Sancho earlier going, you know, and, and him being a, a forerunner for for English players looking to to move abroad. That, you know, the impact of Brexit could make that much more difficult. Um and, you know, if if clubs have to have more English players in their squad, they don't necessarily they won't necessarily be using them all. You know, you look at um Gary Cahill at at Chelsea, a lot of people say that perhaps Chelsea are keeping there just to up their numbers of of homegrown players, but he's not actually getting to play. And Mm. that's what we don't want, is English players being stuck at a club to increase the number of homegrown players, but not Mm. being able to move on. Um, So, yeah, both in terms of players coming in, um, which could become more difficult, as well as young English players getting their opportunity elsewhere.
2: Mm. Um, Stuart Horsfield... Is it realistically possible for a player to win the Ballon d'Or while playing in the Premier League?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I don't see why not. I mean, that that always been obviously been completely dominated by two men for for over a decade now. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think think certainly. I think um, a Manchester City player, for instance, I think Man City will win the Champions League this year. Um, I think there's a very good chance they will. And um, I, I don't see why there couldn't be a Man City player emerged to, to win that award next year. Um, Modric is likely to win it. Um, so, um, I mean, yeah, I, I don't see any reason why Premier League, you know, why a Premier League player couldn't win it. Mm-hmm. Okay. this is the,
2: the final question, one from uh, Jim Benage. Um, there were reports of thousands outside Wembley queuing to get in when uh, they kicked off yesterday. Um, what have fans done to deserve
1: Wembley? For Me? <laughs> yeah, if you like. Um, Wembley, wouldn't, if Wembley didn't have the name Wembley, uh, and, and that's more for people who've never been to Wembley and never tried to travel there by, by, you know, by train or by car... Then they would never have rebuilt the National Stadium at Wembley. It's just the name and the prestige of the, of the place, which is genuinely has a global same as American. Art. American art and Wembley would probably be the two biggest stadium names in in the world. So because it, you know, the F, that, that 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 decision was made entirely because of the name Wembley. It, you know, it, it, particularly when Burton's been built, why why wouldn't the National Stadium be somewhere? Slap bang in the middle of the country, near near Burton, near near St George's Park. I'm talking about. Um, it doesn't make any sense. So yeah, I've got a great. Um, I mean, we, you know, even journalists, we, we've got the same problems in terms of getting there. I mean, it's 50 quid to park at ch- some games. The, the category that, right. Tottenham v Real Madrid's 50 quid to park there. Um, and and. I mean, it's between 30 and 50 in in the sort of Wembley car parks. And they've built hotels on some of the car parking space there as well, making it even worse. And as we know, you know, the Metropolitan Line quite often malfunctions <laughs> Because Spurs fans are voting with their feet
2: as well, aren't they? And it looks like they're going to have to pull up Wembley until March now.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've heard from some Spurs fans that talking about having to... They've already bought their season ticket for the new stadium, but with each game that they're not at the new stadium, they're having to... Almost ask for a refund for that ticket and buy a new ticket. Mm. Um, so it's it's crazy, and, and obviously Spurs fans are, like you said, they're voting with their feet and deciding. You know, I've, we've done it last season; it was a novelty last season. This season, that's enough. Mm. Um, March, yeah.
2: Long time, <laughs> it's, long it's a way time. Away, yeah. um, just to end with a story, which I think will probably dominate for the, certainly the early part of the week: um, the continuing power struggle at the PFA. You've got on the one hand. Gordon Taylor, um, to some, you know, representative of uh, almost like an unelected elite, but he's been there 37 years. Uh, on the other side, you've got Ben Perkis, 34-year-old fullback from Walsall, non-contract player now because of injury, uh, but a revolt which is actually gathering re- real momentum. More than 200 players are already saying that Gordon Taylor must go. How do you see it playing out?
1: yeah it does feel like the end game for Taylor I mean he's been there. I mean I remember starting out on Fleet Street over twenty years ago, and he wasn't a young man then, and he's still there and you know, this sort of thing has come up you know hang on aren't you supposed to, as a trade union leader stand for election you know are there are there you know are they not supposed to be is every five years world accounts and, and, and it's as if no one's ever really thought about it before and this book just goes on and on and on um There's some very questionable. um, There's there's some real questions to ask in in, 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 if Taylor were to actually put himself forward for election. There will be some really interesting questions to ask about the finances of that organisation, including his own salary, which is extraordinary two and a half million pounds a year. Yeah, was
2: yeah two point two point two nine, I think it was. But and in that sense, and and I think the year before was over three, Mm -hmm. um, highest paid union official in the world. Uh, you've got an, oper- an operation which has fifty million pounds in the bank, and can only only give um, you know research for something like concussion, a hundred thousand pounds. Something's wrong somewhere, isn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, it's amazing, really, that it's taken you know Ben Ben Perkis to to come in and ask the question, and you know just say, can we look into you know how things are run here for people to suddenly say, oh, hang on a minute, this is wrong. You know, this, this guy's been in charge for for over thirty years without having to answer these difficult questions. Um, like David said, I think it's, it probably is the end game for Gordon, um, looking at the numbers and, and the amount of questions that are building up around his job. You know, I can't really see how he comes out of it.
2: Well, the PFA needs to modernise and the players have spoken. Time to go, Gordon. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers' Podcast.